Hello, and welcome to Black Marriage Therapy, BMT for short. Here we become students of marriage in order to create healthy, long-lasting relationships. I'm your host, Kristen Smith, and in today's episode, we discuss sex in marriage. The first time my husband and I had sex, it was surreal. I enjoyed connecting with the person I loved on a deeper physical level. However, the morning after, I couldn't help but feel guilty and confused. To add some context to this story, I have to go back a few years. The first conversation I had ever had about sex was on the day I got my period. My mom came into my room, stood in front of the door and told me, now you are a woman. If you have sex, you will get pregnant. That's how me and your dad got you. The end. That's it. That was the end of the conversation. After that initial conversation, my mom left the education about sex up to the church. And if you grew up in a church, you can probably relate to what I'm about to share. I have heard every purity speech you could think of. And I even still have a purity certificate that I signed as a promise to save myself for marriage. The messaging I received was that sex is for men. My body is not my own. My job is to bring pleasure to my husband That sex is a sin, your desires are a sin, being attracted to others is a sin, and that if you dare slip up and have sex before marriage, might as well book a first class ticket to hell because your life is over. Now that I have been married for 10 years and have experienced sex in many different facets, I realized that the way the church taught me and many others about sex was kind of reckless. No, it was reckless and harmful to a lot of women and men. So fast forward to my wedding night. I have done the thing that I have been taught to do my entire life as a young lady, and that is to remain a virgin until I'm married. And lo and behold, after I finally did the act, I didn't feel a sense of relief, but of guilt and confusion. Now, I understand that everyone's story of sex may not be like mine, but I would love to share what I have learned since then that has really helped me make sex a sensual, joyful, sometimes hilarious, pleasurable experience that it should be. So in today's episode, we will be discussing five things that I have learned about sex that has transformed my sex life in marriage. If you have been enjoying the content, please follow us on Instagram at Black Marriage Therapy. Rate us on your podcast platform and share your favorite episode with a friend. To bring context to this conversation, um, I feel like there's just two things that I really need to mention. You know, although I, I talked about how the church kind of screwed me over when it came to sex education, I don't think that, you know, the secular view of sex education is all perfect as well. Um, I do think that sometimes it can be extreme and that, to be honest, the church and the secular you know, world can 
create a binary, but I have, what I have learned over time is that it's not really a binary. It's not really this or that, and that's it. And usually there's a dance to be done. There's some work in the middle that has to happen. So, you know, I'm going to be discussing that. The second thing that I want to add to bring context to this conversation is, you know, the purpose of sex. And this may be different for you, but this is what I've found. The main purpose of sex is pleasure intimacy and procreation. Usually when people are having sex is for those three things, (laughs) pleasure, intimacy, or to have a baby. And I have learned over time that leaning into, in marriage, leaning into either one of these things too much kind of creates a like imbalance. If you're only seeking pleasure, then you may lack intimacy. If you're only seeking intimacy, then you may lack pleasure. And if you're only seeking procreation, and that was me, trust me, when I was trying to have a baby, you like you, you kind of like put pleasure and intimacy on the back burner. It's just like, oh, let's get it done. Let's have this baby, you know? And you kind of want to be, I mean, unless you don't want to have kids, don't tiptoe in that side. <laughs> But between pleasure and intimacy, you kind of want to make sure that um, those things are consistent throughout your marriage. So I just want to add those two things for context. Okay, so the first thing that I learned about sex that has transformed my sex life and marriage is consent. So these aren't in any particular order, I have to say. But the first thing that I thought of when I was writing this episode was consent. Some may believe that when you get married, the conversation of consent is no longer applicable because it's two loving people who are together and obviously they consent. But that is not the case. Unfortunately, marital rape and sexual coercion is still very, very prevalent in uh, marriage relationships. And in about... I want to say about 10 to 13 states. I have to find the exact statistic. But in a couple of states, there are still loopholes where marital rape cannot be charged. Um, And this all comes from the basis of women being property. And, you know, it's not rape because that's my property. And, you know, now we come here fast forward where that's not the case. Yet those laws and those ideologies still exist. So let's define consent. And I think with the conversation of consent, again, very, very, very touchy conversation. I feel like if you ask one person what it is, they'll say something else. If you ask another person what it is, they'll say something else. Um, This episode is based off my own experience. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, do your own research and have the conversation with your spouse because that's really what matters. What you guys decide as consent is what matters. So, um, the dictionary definition is willing and agreeing to have sex with someone. Um, some may add also an enthusiastic yes is what they consider to be consent. If the person can't say no, then they can't say yes. You know, things like that. Um, you may have heard. And so for consent, often in the biblical background, based off how I was raised, you know, the conversation of consent was never discussed right? We never even had that conversation. It was just like, you know, you're supposed to have sex with your husband and, you know, don't deprive your husband and stuff like that. Now, when I read the scriptures for myself, I do not believe that is what they're saying. Um, I think that sometimes people can take two scriptures and make it a whole entire doctrine and try to oppress people with it. And that's not what it is. 
So in marriage, people may think that sex is obligatory. Like, so now that we are married, the debt of sex is owed. And I think that is very, very dangerous rhetoric to have the idea that no sex is owed to me. You are indebted to me to have sex. Now, oftentimes people don't even think that they're being sexually coerced in marriage because they're like, oh, well, it's marriage. But you may be, and I'm saying this not as an accuser to be like, oh, well, like, yes, they're doing this. And you know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, you're sexually coercing your wife. I think that in marriage, most people don't think about this conversation. Most people don't even consider marital rape. They don't consider sexual coercion. They don't consider consent because oftentimes the idea is that in marriage, everything is all hunky-dory and that is not fully the truth, right? So it is important that we have conversations of consent and we know exactly what consent is and sexual coercion, all these things so that we can protect ourselves, protect one another. So let's talk about sexual coercion. Specifically, sexual coercion involves using manipulative behaviors to convince someone about a possible sexual activity. So usually this this might be like pressuring somebody, like if they say no, asking again and asking again and asking again and asking again and asking again. Sometimes, and according to media, I mean, this thing goes deep, right? The way we see uh, the sexual... um, plot in movies is usually like chase, 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 right? And they're trying to chase you and then they chase you until you say yes. And that seems real sexy and maybe it is, right? (laughs) Or for another person, that could be sexual coercion. Like I told you no and you're pressuring me and I told you no and you're pressuring me and I told you no, you're pressuring. So this is why the conversation needs to be had, right? And this is why the conversation needs to be had. It needs to be clear what consent looks like, what sexual coercion looks like, what you don't, what you like, what you don't like, what you are absolutely not okay with. And I have found that in my own marriage, having the conversation of like, you know, no, I don't want to, or I don't appreciate asked being asked again or whatever, you know, whatever the specifics are is very, very, very important to marriage and not only marriage, but to the sexual relationship, to the, the health of your sexual relationship. Now that I'm here in this stage of my relationship, what I have, what we both have agreed on is mutual consent and is defined as it says, as agreed to by the people involved. This is Merriam Webster. This is getting an enthusiastic yes from both parties. Guys, I know this sounds so dry and so stale, but it is so important. So um, in our relationship, what we have come to is mutual consent. We have conversations about sex. We do the red light, yellow light, green light. These are things that are red light. Hell no, never going to happen. Okay. Yellow light. Hey, maybe let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. In the heat of the moment may happen, you know, whatever. Green light is these are always okay. So that's a conversation that we have that works for us. So the next thing that I have learned over these years that has really transformed my sexual life is having conversations about sex. And this is kind of what I was talking about with consent a little bit more deeper now. Okay. So let's be honest in the beginning of my relationship, the conversation of sex was so touchy. It was so, so, so touchy. Like 
it was that that sore sore spot that if you try to touch it a fight would break out and i think that my husband and i had we were really young and we didn't know everything and like we both were coming into this relationship as virgins and like um i think he had some expectations of what it should be like i had expectations of what it should be like and whenever the conversation came up it would just blow out of proportion. So for a long time, guys, for a long time, and I mean like five, six years, the conversation of sex was so touchy that we could not even like resolve some things. And to be honest, it pushed us away and we, it was just awkward. Okay. We were just trying our best, but it was super awkward. So what I have learned is now since then, since we've kind of broken past this like tumultuous conversation and we've really been able to seek understanding with one another we are always having a conversation about sex and i read this also in um, marriage be hard by kevin kevin stage and miss kevin stage and they were talking about how sex is a continuous conversation and i 100 percent agree sex is a continuous conversation this is not something that you have at the beginning of your marriage or pre-marriage and then you have it like one time after that you are always talking talking about sex because things change. Okay. You may like something one day and not like it another day. You may be stressed. You may have a baby. You may, there's so many things that can happen and continuing the conversation of sex and your expectation and all these things really helps to build a foundation for your sexual relationship so that when you're having sex again you are more free because you know that you've had this conversation nobody's guessing nobody's trying to figure out is this okay is this not okay how they're feeling how should I approach this because it's already been discussed and that way when you're having sex you feel more free more connected more intimate so what I would suggest and this is what I had to do is have the conversation with yourself first, have the conversation with yourself first. If you do not know, or if you have not explored your self and your relationship with sex before you have a conversation with your spouse, it may turn into a mess. Okay. I guess I'm speaking from experience. You can do this by simply having a conversation with yourself out loud, or you can journal. And I have some examples that you can use to ask yourself some questions to kind of give yourself some type of a basis to have some self-awareness to help you figure out what is my own relationship with sex. So you can ask yourself, what does sex mean to me? What makes sex enjoyable to me? What makes it unenjoyable? What was I taught about sex? Is it showing up in my sex life now? What are my expectations of sex? Is there any sexual trauma that can affect my sex life that my spouse should know about? These are just a few questions to kind of help you start to, um, dig into your own ideology, your own thoughts about sex, you may be completely surprised. You may realize, man, I really, really enjoy sex. It is very important to me. I need that connection. I need it consistently. I need it frequently, all these type of things. If once, once you have that kind of basis of like, okay, this is me, you bring that to your spouse and you say, well, 
And hopefully they can ask, ask themselves those questions as well. And you come and you discuss it. And you guys want to come to like a joint agreement. If you listen to one of my episodes, I think... Oh my goodness, I should know. But I think it's an episode on communication. I talked about the policy of joint agreement. And basically, it encourages couples to consider each other's happiness as equally important. They are a team and both should try to help each other and avoid hurting each other. So when you're having this conversation about sex, and again, you're going to revisit this conversation, I promise you, it's, it's going to change. But when you're having the conversation, you want to discuss like, okay, this is important to you. This is important to me. How do we come to some type of middle ground? So for example, my husband is the higher desire sex person, sex partner, whatever. <laughs> if you haven't heard about this, again, Kev on stage, Miss Kev on stage, they've talked about this before on their podcast, which is there's a higher desire partner and a lower desire partner. This could be a man or a woman. It just means that one of the partners in the relationship in, has a higher sex drive and the other person may not, right? So my husband in, in our relationship is the higher desire per- partner. I am the lower desire partner. So oftentimes he's asking more, more times than, than I'm wanting. So when we finally had the conversation and this was after we had kids and it was already a hot mess. Um, when we finally sat down and have the conversation, I said, listen, this is what I can do. This is what I can handle. And he was like, okay, well, this is what I need. And based off that conversation, we're like, okay, you know what? We can do this two, three times a week. That sounds good to both of us. You sound satisfied. I sound satisfied. Hey, that's enthusiastic. Yes, let's do it. And let's keep our word so that we build trust and intimacy, yada, yada, yada. So that was just one of the conversations that we had about sex. So another conversation that we had is coming up to our 10 year anniversary, we revisited the conversation of sex and we kind of were looking at our past and our history. We're talking about how you know what? In the past we were young and we were bunny rabbits and, you know, wham, bam, 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 bam. And that was great. (laughs) Okay. But as we're getting a little bit older and we have like a different life experience with, you know, children and uh, work and we're exploring just different things, school, everything is so different. We revisited the conversation of sex and we're like, what do we want sex to look like in the next God willing 10 years of our marriage? Like, how do we want our sex life to evolve? And you know, I'm not going to share what he said, but for me, I was just like, I would want more sensual sex or more like, I don't know, let's call it grown and sexy sex. I don't know. (laughs) But for me, I was just like, I want to explore, you know, I I just want to be explorative, right? I, I feel very free in my sexual life with my husband now. I feel very open and trusting and I want to be very explorative and sensual with my husband. And, and again, that's just an, another example of a conversation that we revisited. So the conversations about sex should not be few and far between. They should be consistent and happening as often as it needs to happen. So the last thing I would like to add about the conversations of sex, these conversations, they should not be like arduous and like super combative but they can be boring, right? Because when we think about sex, we think about the movies, we think about passion, we think about sensuality and pleasure and the chase and everything, right? And that is all great. 
And although the conversations of sex can be boring, what I have found is that having the open and honest conversations about sex creates an environment for passion to thrive. When you set the foundation and the conversations as are had and you guys are agreeing to certain things and respect and love, then you, you create an environment where passion and sensualness and pleasure and intimacy can thrive. But if you don't have those conversations and you're kind of like fumbling through it as you have sex, that's kind of where a lot of the hurt happens and the hiccups and the misunderstandings. Well, I thought you wanted this and I thought you liked this. Now you change, you know, so just have it, have the conversation first, even though it's boring. (laughs) Okay. The third thing that I learned about sex that helped transform my sexual life is that sex changes depending on the season of life you are in. Oftentimes when you coming into marriage, they have the honeymoon phase and hopefully, usually you guys are bunny rabbits. Listen, every place, everywhere, (laughs) okay, every position, everything that you are interested in doing, you can do, okay? Usually... (laughs) I know this is not everyone's story, but usually y'all got free time, y'all got each other, y'all got the massage oil, y'all got the toys, y'all everything, okay? <laughs> As it should be, all right? When you first get married and you feel that bliss and that love and that joy, get yours, okay? <laughs> I am not mad at you. Get yours, boo-boo. But that is not where sex begins and ends. So I don't want to say that that sex is only one time, you know, like it's only during your honeymoon phase. And then after that, you'll never have that sex again. That is not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that that sex may, that type of sex, that passion, sensual sex, you know, that blissful sex may be for that season. Then it may go down. Then it may go up. Then it may go down. Then it may go up. Then it may be just stagnant. Like, Hey, we on a schedule. Let's just make sure every Wednesday we're meeting together because it depends on the season of life you are in. So for example, here are some big changes or transitions that I can think of that can affect your sex life. So you may have some changes in your career. If you're taking on more work and you're more stressed, then you may not want to have more sex or you may be seeking sex out more as a way of relief, but that's not intimacy. You know, hey, what's right, what's wrong? That's between you and your spouse. That's the conversation that you need to have. Um, Another thing, a transition is children. If you are trying to have children, or if you have young, small children, that can really shift and change your sexual life. It took, it took my husband and I three and a half years to conceive, um, our first daughter. And in that season, we were having sex more, but I don't think we were having intimate sex or even like passionate sex. We were kind of just like procreating sex, like, okay, I'm ovulating, let's do this, you know? And although there was a, time for that. There was a season for that because we were trying to have a baby. It's still, you know, it was different. And, and to be honest, I think it's okay that it's different sometimes. And I, the thing is that sometimes when it's different, people think that there's something wrong. Like, oh, we are not having the fiery, passionate sex. Like people, I realize this, people usually have the conversation of like, what are you doing to keep your sex life spicy? Like there's a lot of interviews that I hear like, oh, what are you doing to keep your sex life spicy? Can I just say that sometimes it's spicy and sometimes it's not? Sometimes it's not spicy and you don't have to make it spicy. 
And that's okay because certain seasons of life require different things. And sometimes being content with that is okay. And understanding that that spiciness will come back. So going back to the list, uh, children can uh, be a big change that affects your sex life. Um, also your health. Another thing before that, now this was way before we were trying to have kids. I was having issues with my thyroid and I think we were maybe three years married. And I tell you, when I tell you my sex drive disappeared, like I had zero sex drive and it was very hard for my husband to understand. Like I was trying to like explain to him like, yo, I... I am not feeling, he could, he, he was just like, wait, what? Like, you know, and I was seeing a doctor and thankfully it was never like a real big problem. Um, but I was having some health issues and health issues sometimes can affect your, your sex drive. Sometimes it's not even connected directly with your sex drive, but just the stress of having a particular health issues, asthma, diabetes, cancer, whatever can affect your sex life. Like, and your sex drive and not make you really want it anymore. Another one is location, a location move. So sometimes moving away from your home, your support system, maybe you guys, you know, used to live in one town and you moved to another time. That's another form of stress. Maybe the person feels alone. They don't, you know, they're not interested in sex as much. Another one, financial hardships. (laughs) Y'all now I don't know because I've heard broke D is the best D. But y- y'all gonna have to tell me that if that's true or not, cause I don't know. <laughs> that's just a joke. <laughs> but anyways, uh, financial hardships is often one of those things that brings stress that makes people like not really want to talk to each other. Like they just like sex is not on the top of the list. Um, another one is betrayal or neglect. If you cheat in, if you emotionally cheat in, if you you know, betrayed somebody in some way, talk behind their back, I don't know, lied on them, or if you're neglecting them, which means like, I got to work, I can't think about you, I'm not spending time with you, I'm not talking to you, I'm not loving on you, I'm not cherishing you, I'm not honoring you, any of those things, those affect your sex life. So depending on the season of life that you are in, your sex life will change. And in marriage, it's okay, right? So I think the most important part of this is recognizing that you're in some type of season and seeing if you need to do something about it. So for example, when we first had our first daughter, sex life plummeted. Hello, we just had a child. My body's going through God knows what, right? So after about six months or so, we had to revisit the conversation of sex because, you know, I think my husband had a specific specific expectation. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm thinking in a completely different way. And what we came to realize is just like, Hey, sex is going to look different. (laughs) Like if we were doing it three, four times a week, maybe it's going to be once a week until I feel better about my body. And can we be okay with that? Right? So and, and that's what it was. And for, I don't know, maybe until she was a year, year and a half, that's what it was. And guess what? After it was actually, after I started breast, after I stopped breastfeeding, that's when I, I start feeling better, start feeling more myself, start feeling more beautiful. And I'm like, Hey, let's revisit that conversation. Let's update, let's update the terms. <laughs> oh my gosh. It sounds like a contract. Oh goodness. But hey, it is what it is, okay? I will give you guys the truth. You decide what you want to do with it, (laughs) okay? That's all I got to say. So if you are able to recognize the season of life that you are in, 
and to decide what to do in this season of life regarding your sex life, then, you know, it'll make your sexual relationship a little bit better. And this goes back to having conversations. We have to communicate y'all. If we ain't, we are creating a rep, a recipe for disaster. It's like, if you don't plan, wait, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. It's kind of like that. And the last thing I want to say about this point, a lack of frequency does not have to mean a lack of intimacy. I got to repeat this one more time. A lack of frequency does not have to mean a lack of intimacy. So this is especially for my high desire folks out there. Um, God bless y'all, first of all. <laughs> okay, because... Sometimes I kind of wish I did have it because I'm like, dang, I want to feel that way, you know, all the time. But hey, it's just not me. And I've accepted that. And that's OK. But for my high desire folks, if you feel like there is a decrease in frequency of sex, maybe because one of these bigger changes that you're experiencing in your relationship, that does not have to equate to a lack of intimacy. So if you're having sex less frequently because of one of these um changes that you're having, find other ways to become intimate with your spouse, especially if they're lower desire. Maybe that can mean doing more date nights. Maybe that could just mean massages, right? Because if they're high stress and maybe they don't want to have intimate sex, like they don't want to have sex, you can massage them or, you know, um, do kisses and hugs or things that's like low stakes, right? Like it's like, oh, Cause sex sometimes could be high stakes, like performing and doing it right and all this type of stuff. So maybe you just want to try to find other ways to be intimate. It does not have to, your intimacy does not have to go down just because your sex has gone down. So the fourth thing that I have learned about sex that has helped transform my sexual life is that what you practice outside of marriage, you play out in marriage. What you practice outside of marriage, you play out in marriage. If your goal is to be in a monogamous relationship where both parties are faithful and you guys are um, each other's main source of sex, like if that is your idea, your goal of a relationship, because other people have different definitions or different goals, um, then it's very important that you practice monogamy before you get married. And this can be like different for everyone. Um, so I'm going to try to be like, I'm going to be general. So I'm not talking about specifics. I'm just going to kind of be general. So what that means that if you are in dating relationships, so, you know, you're just dating or whatever like that, or you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, um, don't cheat on them. <laughs> don't, don't, don't practice cheating on them because rather break up with them and find somebody else than cheat on them. Because if you are a cheater or if you practice cheating outside of marriage, marriage is not going to cure your desire to want to cheat. It's only going to intensify it. Marriage is a commitment. And for some people that feels like a cage um, it's not, but it does. It can feel like, like you're being suffocated. Maybe you feel like, man, did I really like experience everything I need to experience? Oh crap. I got to go outside my bed. Okay. <laughs> the point is 
if you are dating or if you are, you know, you have girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever like that, and you want to be, your goal is a monogamous marriage, practice monogamy outside of marriage. Practice having the self-discipline to stay faithful to the person. And if you cannot, then break up with the person. Another example of this is if you have a wandering eye, right? So if you are a fella or lady who feel like anyone who give you attention or anyone who you think is beautiful, you want to talk to them, you want to, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about dating. I'm talking about like if you've been in a relationship before marriage or if you're in the relationship that you want to lead to marriage, right? If you're in this serious committed relationship and you have a wandering eye, you get, you want to get attention from other people. You want to do all this. That is not going to stop. Like the marriage vows and the wedding ring is not going to quell your desire to want to look at other women, talk to other women or get attention from other men, talk to other men, yada, yada, yada. It's only going to exacerbate it. It's only going to make it worse. So you have to practice self-discipline in your committed relationships outside of marriage in order for you to be disciplined in marriage. And the stakes are higher in marriage because you have a strong commitment. The commitment adds kind of like a level of pressure. Whereas like, if you were not practicing what you were supposed to be practicing, the consequences are higher. Divorce, marital stress and strife, all these type of things. Stakes are higher, buddy. So it's really important that what you want to do in your marriage, you do outside of marriage. Another example of this, and this is going to be controversial, I'm going to talk about it anyways, y'all get over it, is porn. Depending on how you feel about porn and your background and what you were taught, how you were raised, may not relate to everyone. I think porn is an interesting conversation because, again, when you talk to different people, you get different responses. Some people, you talk to them and they're like, ah, porn's not a problem. Some people, you talk to, to, to people and they're like, uh, yeah, I'm addicted. I had a problem. I had to stop. All this type of things. If you know you have a porn addiction before you get married, please don't think that that porn addiction, like because you have access to your spouse to have sex with, that that porn addiction is going to go away. It's not. Most likely it's going to increase. Marriage is a magnifier, not a minimizer. So a good example of this is before I got married, I definitely watched porn. I don't know who didn't watch porn. (laughs) Okay. But you know, you're curious, you're a teenager. I watch porn. I never felt like I was addicted to porn. I always felt like porn for me, especially because of my background and my whole sexual education, porn for me was always about curiosity. Porn for me was always like, what is going on? What is this? What is that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all that stuff. And um, I never felt like I had an addictive type of, you know, thing with it. Now, I still stop because based off my religious beliefs, I was just like, no, this is not healthy for my mind, my heart, my connection to God, whatever. So I'm going to stop. You know, my husband, on the other hand, had a different experience and he, it, it did become a problem. It, it became a problem because, and, and I've heard this from Christians and people in the secular space as well. So the thing is about porn, often what they say is that it makes you trivialize and objectify your intimate partner. It decreases the romance and the intimacy. The partner that you have is now supposed to be like your sex toy, 
rather than a person, an individual who you're supposed to connect to. So that definitely affected my relationship. And it kind of took a while, to be honest, for us to kind of like get through this. And, and, and what was interesting is we had different experiences with porn. For me, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a problem. So when I came into marriage, it kind of just like, you know, dissipated or whatever for him it was. So, you know, it was a problem that we had to address. So that's just another example of something that if you don't have self-discipline in before you get marriage, how it can kind of create hardships and strifes in your marriage. And I don't think people talk about this enough about self-discipline when it comes to sex. I mentioned before how in marriage, there are so many transitions. There are so many different changes that can happen over time. And if you don't have the self-discipline to master your own sexual drive, when these type of things happen, how are you going to be there for your spouse when it's most important? You know what I'm saying? So that's why I think it's super important that outside of marriage that you practice some type of self-discipline when it comes to sex. For some reason, we don't consider this and we don't think about sexual self-discipline because in other, in all other spaces, spaces, we think about, you know, dieting, self-discipline. We think about uh, finances, having discipline. We think about discipline in work and career, but when it comes to sex, it's almost the opposite, which is like all free, all everything. We don't have to have any type of discipline. We could do whatever we want. And we think that we're going to bring that into marriage. Everything's going to be quelled. I'm in love now. And that is not the truth. The vision that you want to have in your marital life, practice that now in your dating single life. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. (laughs) So the last tip that I have, or the last thing that really transformed my sexual relationship in marriage is intimacy. Sex is a part of intimacy. Um, Sometimes we think that sex is intimacy, but sex is a part of intimacy, Intimacy has many different layers, many different levels. You have sexual intimacy, you have spiritual intimacy, you have uh, intellectual intimacy. There, I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on, right? Um, but I feel like growing the intimacy with Junior, with my partner, has really allowed me to be sexually free in my marriage. And it's so important to feel free and and unburdened when it comes to sex. I feel like that's what makes it so much like 10 times better. Right. And especially when you could fumble <laughs> like during sex, because I don't think anybody talks about uh, sex being awkward sometimes and not being perfect and you know, lustful and, you know, dripping sweat. Sometimes you'd be fumbling during sex, but that intimacy, that level of trust and vulnerability really has allowed me to have the freedom to be connected to my spouse. And I am not going to lie to y'all. I ain't going to hold y'all. Okay. I feel like I have just experienced this maybe in year eight. (laughs) Okay. We've been married 10 years. Year eight is when I, like when we started like this wheel of like, oh, intimate sex and all this type of stuff. One thing that I've learned about intimate sex is that it's the responsibility of both partners. 
based off of everything I have been taught, everything that I have watched, everything I've heard about sex, I have, as a woman, I've always seen the man as the chaser, the man as the higher desire one, the man where, you know, everything is for the man, is for the man, is for the man. And I was just like, well, if that's the case, then I have no responsibility in sex. Everything should be up to you. You should chase. You should have all the moves. You should, you know, participate the most. You should, everything, right? And over time, what I realized is that as I began to participate more and as I become began to become more responsible for my part in um, our sexual relationship, it has really balanced things out and helped to um, create intimacy, create trust, create vulnerability. And um, this was difficult for me at first. Now, I, now I'll say this. If we didn't have those conversations where we were honest and open, I don't think I would have even gotten to the point where I can have taken responsibility and all those things. Because of how our relationship was in the beginning, it was necessary for us to go through the dirty, nitty gritty before we even got to intimacy. And maybe that's why it took us eight years to get to the point of like, oh, now we can relax and be free and really enjoy our sex life. Um, so an example of that responsibility was initiating. Again, like I said, everything that I've been taught was saying like, well, if men want it, they initiate. And after having conversations with my husband, he's just like, um, I don't want to initiate all the time because with initiation come rejection and you have to be able to handle rejection and poor thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I was rejecting him all the time, you know, and stuff like that. And I think we had to have the conversation again. And I was just like, oh, shoot, I have to initiate, which makes me vulnerable. And it makes me vulnerable because of rejection. I don't want to feel rejection. But then I had to realize if I don't want to feel rejection and he's the one always feeling rejection, that's must, that is the way he must feel. And that gave me a little bit of understanding to be like, oh, damn, that's how he must feel. So let me lessen the burden. Let me take some responsibility and say, oh, crap, I need to initiate more as well. And funny enough, just like two days ago, I asked him, I was like, hey, how do you feel about initiation? Like, how do you feel like, you know, I'm doing with initiation? He's like, mm. <laughs> like straight up. He was like, eh, you doing all right. You can initiate more. And I'm like, oh, dang. Okay. So you know, I didn't even realize he's like, he's not bothered by it because we're in a really good space right now. But he's like, yeah, you could initiate more if you wanted to. So I was like, oh, dang, hadn't even realized, you know, another responsibility that I had to take to create intimacy, sexual intimacy was, um, keeping my word. And this was a big one. And this one was probably the hardest one because, I had an idea and this is why guys, I'm telling you have a conversation with yourself. Okay. I had an expectation in my mind of what a wife, a good wife should do and how that wife should give her husband sex. Again, I talked about my church background and how it kind of messed up my entire mind. I hadn't realized that that expectation was creating so much problems in my relationship. So because I had that expectation, I was 
telling my husband or when we would have the conversation, I'd be like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we could have sex. And I am setting such a high expectation that guess what? I cannot fulfill. And it wasn't based off of like, I mean, okay. And that was based off of desire because I'm just a lower desire person. Also because of busyness, I'm taking care of two kids. I'm doing homework. I'm, do you know what I'm saying? So I'm basically setting my husband up and saying, yes, we can do four times a week. No problem. Right. Over promising under delivering, which after many fights came out to be like, yo, I don't trust you. And when my husband said that, it stung me so hard. And I was just like, oh, damn, what, what, you know, what happened? He's like, yo, I don't trust you. And it's because I wasn't keeping my word. And the reason why I was not keeping my word is because I was trying to keep up with this idea of what I thought a good wife should be doing in a sexual way. Well, I was trying to keep up. To be honest, it wasn't in just sex. It was in a lot of different ways because sex was one way where it's just like, yeah, I'm over promising, but also like, you know, taking care of the house and date nights and all this stuff. I had this idea, this picture of what a perfect wife would look like and what I should be doing. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. And he's like, okay. And then I don't do it. And then he's like, I can't trust anything she says. So eventually what happened is, when I had a real conversation with him, he was just like, I don't expect those things of you. And it completely blew my mind. I was like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, I do not expect those things of you. I just want whatever you say for you to do. And I was just like, I was blown away. I felt like so free. I got to take off that good girl, that good church girl idea of like, you should be having sex five days a week and cleaning the kitchen and cooking and taking care of the children and doing this and doing that. And I was just like, wait, I could just be real with you. He's like, please, for the love of God. (laughs) He was just like, please just tell me what you want. Tell me what you can handle. Tell me what you truly need. That way, when you say something, I can believe it because it's actually what you can do, not the idea of what you think you can do, right? So when I was able to come back to him and say, listen, right now, because of school stress, because of this, because of children, because of this, this is really what I can do. And he was like, ah, can you do a little bit more? And we got to negotiating and we came to an enthusiastic agreement. So I know I'm talking about responsibility and all that stuff, but when it comes to sex, I think it's important to talk about when it comes to intimacy and sex, I'm sorry. I think it's important to talk about the responsibility of intimacies for both partners. Intimacy is about trust. Intimacy is about vulnerability. The way you get those things is through honesty. It's through uh, 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 being open and sharing your real heart right? And it takes both partners to be responsible of that in order to create intimacy. That intimacy has completely transformed my sexual life. It has given me a freedom that I have never felt before. And I feel like I can connect. And maybe that's why I was like, Hey, let's take this sex thing to a new level is because I feel completely free. And I feel like I want to connect to my husband on a deeper level in a more sensual way, exploring all those type of things. So just to end the whole intimacy thing, I think I, 
I got to get off my soapbox because I feel like I was ranting. But to get off the intimacy, the last thing I would like to say is that you and your spouse determine what good sex is, not anyone else. It is sometimes hard to not compare compare yourself to other people um, or to not seek advice because I understand you want to seek advice and you kind of want to understand, you know, but it's important that you and your spouse decide what sex is, good sex is. We had advice. <laughs> we had somebody tell Junior to pull on my hair. Like, oh, yeah, you know what the ladies love? Pull on her hair. Listen, if you yank these braids, we are going to fight. Fists are being thrown. Do not pull on my hair. <laughs> okay, so although take every advice with a grain of salt, even everything that I'm sharing, these are from my own personal experience, from my own background. You may have had a completely different experience. You may not even have been in church or had that experience. So it's very important that you and your spouse decide what good sex is. But again, it should be mutual. You and your spouse, not one or the other. So to end our conversation on sex, I will give a quote from foryourmarriage.com. It says, intimacy includes physical closeness and to many, this quickly gets translated to meaning a sexual relationship. Of course, married love includes sex, as it should, but long married couples will often relate that the sexual part of their relationship is only one of many ways they are intimate with one another. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of Black Marriage Therapy. Remember, all books, studies, or websites mentioned will be in the show notes. If you haven't yet, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Black Marriage Therapy. Thanks again for listening. See you again soon.